Well, here's the plan. Over the next few weeks, uh, I'm going to preach on a very brief kind of sermon series God placed in my heart, just kind of uh, a mini-series, mini if you will, on evangelism. And then we're going to kick off the fall. Not that there's technically, I guess there's not really a fall here in Cayman, I'm told. But the fall, we're going to kick off a, a longer sermon series. Um, so we're going to start out with the hors d'oeuvre, if you will, you know. Or where I'm from, they call it the hours d'oeuvres. And uh, we'll start there, and then we'll go to an entree. Uh, let's pray as we get into the sermon this morning. Jesus, we love you. Uh, just looking at this banner up here on stage and how it, it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. John fifteen five, Lord, um, we need you this morning. I need you, but we need you, Lord. For your word to penetrate our hearts and minds and for your spirit to show us how to grow, how to live for you. You are our Lord, our God. Help us remember the very meaning of that word, Lord, God, Master of our lives. Help us learn it through your word this morning. Please speak through it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, my friends, we are loaded down with countless church activities. While the real work of the church, that of evangelizing the world and winning the lost, is almost entirely neglected. These are uh, some indicting words from an early 20th century Canadian pastor named Oswald Smith, who founded the People's Church in Toronto. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about sharing the good news of Jesus, that great work, sharing the good news with Jesus, the good news of Jesus with others. And we're going to call this series. Sharing God's gospel. And I come to you today, I'm, I'm before you today as one who is very much looking to grow in this area. Uh, I, uh, I get easily frightened and I crawl into my shell. Or for you Harry Potter fans, I disappear into my invisible cloak. Uh, when it comes to personal evangelism, sharing Jesus with people one-on-one, talking to them. Uh, Katie, my lovely bride, is on the other hand very uh, gifted. I think a very gifted and an eager evangelist. And uh, I'll describe a little bit why that is. But I bought a car battery uh, less than a year ago. I was back in the States and bought a car battery for our minivan, right? I have a minivan now. We have children who are five and three. And uh, I finally broke down. We got a minivan. This was years ago, you know. And it's always a hard thing when you get a minivan because the next thing you do, you have one of those, you know, uh, those pouches around the, the fanny pack. You know, I think it comes actually with a fanny pack. But anyhow, we had to get a car battery for this minivan. And of course, no one told me. That uh, car batteries in the Cayman Sun uh, last about as long as one of those uh, potato batteries you construct in science class when you're a kid. You know those things like for the science fair, you get the potato battery and it has like a little nail in it and a copper wire and it, you, know, you put it together and it lights up a Tonka truck for like five seconds. You know, that is apparently how long a uh, battery lasts here in the Cayman Islands. And less than a year old, went dead. Went dead. So after... Two months of jumping it periodically, because I refused to believe that this was happening to the car battery. 
And so after two months of this and, and one vacation of hoping God would miraculously heal the minivan, the, the child mobile, while I was gone, I finally bit the bullet and I headed down this way to, uh, to Parker's and uh, bought a car battery. Now, I want to give you a little tidbit of good news within this sad story because I know you guys, I, I feel that you guys are rooting for me in this story. You're like, Tell me, we're going for you here, Ryan. This is a sad story already. I did manage to get a 20% discount on the car battery, which I don't know how I got it, but it was awesome. I'm still pretty psyched about that. But I paid for it, and after paying for it, you head over across the street to their battery warehouse, all right, which basically looks like an abandoned building. And I handed the man the slip. He called it in. Now, after you do this, you spend about 10 minutes in silence, just you and the other person, right? You know, he's not going to go anywhere because you're the customer. And if you're awkward, like, what are you going to do? Like, you know, oh, we've got to use the bathroom. I, I, you know, you're just sitting there, awkward silence. I don't have my phone with me to like do the old, I'm important. I'm going to look at my phone, right? And uh, my mind's fresh. I just came off a of vacation and I have this young Canadian man sitting before me. Now, friends, if you have a connection with anyone, even a stranger, any connection, and have nothing to do, God is giving you an opportunity to introduce someone to Jesus, to start up a conversation about God. Me, I just stood there. Stood there. I, I thought about it. You know, I was like, I really should. But I remained silent because I told myself two things. One, I told myself, this guy, he looks tired. He looks tired. I don't want to be a nuisance. You know, towards the end of the day, I don't want to bother this guy. Second thing I told myself, which by the way, came after I noticed a King James Version Gideon Bible on the counter. I noticed this, right? <laughs> but having noticed it, instead of like saying something about it, I instead thought to myself, you know, he's, he's being Kamanian. I did think this myself. Being Canadian, he's probably heard the gospel or he knows it himself. And probably been to church. Now, I realize that's a stereotypical thought. And that's not what I'm proud of. Right? But I thought it's a very religious culture. Okay? So this went through my mind. Uh, sinful as it might have been. Um, meanwhile, the Bible just sat there. There's a Bible between me and this man. I didn't say anything. I didn't even give, I mean, that's an automatic conversation starter, right? I could say, so what are you reading? Or, is that yours? You know? Even that went by the wayside. Second story by way of contrast. At the end of our holiday, we were gone for about three and a half weeks, Katie received a gift to go to the spa, all right? Get a massage, get pampered, sort of thing, right? I was disappointed we didn't get the couple's spa treatment, but all right, that's okay. While getting a massage, uh, she strikes up a conversation with the masseuse and begins sharing the gospel. Now, when she told me this, I like to brag on her a little bit, but when she told me this, I was a little perplexed, I admit. Um, which, you know, a pastor, why is a pastor perplexed about this? Well, I was talking during a massage. That's like, that's like one of the cardinal sins of getting a massage, right? One of the greatest blessings of receiving the massage is the, the liberty one is afforded to 
close one's eyes and drool out of the mouth, right? The corner of the mouth, just... And when else can you do that, right? Publicly, in a way that's not humiliating. Um, Maybe an airplane, I guess. (laughs) Anyway, um, so I was perplexed. And I may have even been a little angry if I had actually bought the massage for her, which I did and my folks did. Uh, So I wasn't quite as angry. But then I remembered, man... Jesus died. Jesus died for sinners like me, like my wife, like this masseuse. Popular publication, Christianity Today, you may have heard of it, surveyed and found that just 1% of its readers said they had shared the gospel, quote-unquote, recently. If you're like me, if I was taking that survey, I, I, would, I would count recently as like maybe four months, five months, right? And still, 1% answered that they did. It's hard. The gospel. I researched and did a little personal research, kind of compiled my own top five reasons, slash excuses, Christians give for not sharing the gospel. And here they are. One, fear of being rejected. I'm going to go through these quickly, but fear of being rejected. Two, you don't know how. don't know how to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're going to get to that in the next few weeks. Three, fear of losing a friend. Four, rationalizing to ourselves, they've already heard. And five, laziness. Now, if you look at these five, all of these, with maybe the exception of number two, have the other person, the other person and not God, as the focus of our fears. You know, even, think about these things, right? Fear of being rejected, fear of losing a friend, they've already heard, that person's already heard. Even laziness is sort of other-centered, right? Because laziness is usually due to the fact that we know people are usually going to show us some resistance towards the gospel. We don't want to work. We don't want to go through that. Fear of rejection, laziness. They've already heard. These were excuses I used when failing to strike up a conversation with the tire guy, or the battery guy, sorry. I never stopped to really ask, Father, what do you want from me? I'm going to argue this morning that when the gospel starts becoming more about the other person, be it a friend, co-worker, stranger, or family member. When the gospel starts becoming more about the other person than it is about God, we start to lose courage. We start to lose our desire. We start to lose our motivation in sharing it. This morning's sermon is entitled, Sharing the Gospel, God's Motivation, Our Motivation. And if you remember one thing from the sermon this morning, I'm going to say it in a nutshell here. I like to condense sermons and make them into a nutshell. Right? It's this. God's motivation for us sharing the gospel is himself. God's motivation for us sharing the gospel is him. 
And I know that this runs contrary to what many of us may have heard, may have thought, or maybe even built our understanding of evangelism around. Namely, that when we share the gospel, it's primarily because we love people and because Jesus loves them. And we are called to love people because Jesus loves them. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the primary reason we share the gospel. Now, I love the gospel of grace. And if you know me, you know that. I love grace. I love the good news that God forgives all rebellion towards him through belief in Jesus Christ, through faith in him, through faith that he became a substitute on the cross for our rebellion, to pay the price for our rebellion. I love that message of the gospel. But the whole point of the gospel is God himself. And this was, you know, you ever notice, like, if you, you go along for a while in the Christian life, you always learn new things about Jesus, which is great. But you start getting more reminders, which are just as important. Right? Peter talks about, if you ever read Second Peter, uh, the first 20 verses, he mentions being reminded, reminding these people it's so important in the Christian life. You start getting reminded a little bit more and, and in a fresh way of great truths. And while I was on vacation, uh, one of the great reminders that God imparted on my heart is that he is the gospel. God is the gospel. You believe and you trust Jesus, that he is Lord, he forgives sins, through his substitutionary death on the cross. You believe in his resurrection from the dead. You believe all of this in order to get God. Right? In order to be reconciled to him. He is the end of the gospel. He is the end of the gospel. And as I hope we see today, he's the beginning of the gospel as well. Again, God's motivation for us sharing the gospel is himself. And I want to show you this. I want you, you to see this for yourself in one of the greatest works of evangelism I've ever read. There's some great tracts out there, great books written by human authors, but probably the greatest work of evangelism comes from the Bible itself. If you would open your Bibles, uh, if you have your own Bible, or there's some, should be there in the row in front of you, 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to read verses 11 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. What's a page number for that? Do you have it? 827. If, you're, if you like uh, big numbers, you want to go that way, it's page 827. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. We'll have it up on the screen here as well, but I encourage you to read in a Bible if you got it. Paul says this to this church in Corinth. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But, we, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again. Now here he's talking about he and other apostles and the work they did to help these people become Christians. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. So that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves... In other words, if we are crazy, if we seem crazy, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. 
For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now we're going to focus on those verses, but I'm going to read the rest of the passage. Verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Jesus Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, there are a lot of issues when it comes to sharing the gospel. There are the techniques for sharing the gospel, right? There is precisely what is the gospel. What is the gospel message? And there is how to deal with the folks with whom we're sharing the gospel, right? How do you deal with other people, answer their questions, and address their concerns? And that's all here. We're going to get to that in the next few weeks. But Paul starts by giving us two motives that will help us stand up and take that hard walk across the room to speak. Open our mouths and speak. Two motives. Paul starts with, I believe we're called to start with, Those two motives are the fear of God and the love of Christ. I'm going to focus this morning primarily on the former, which pains me as a pastor, because verse 14 is like as a memory verse for me. For Christ's love compels us, which we're convinced one died for all, therefore all died. I love this verse. I'm going to preach on it some point more thoroughly, but I really felt Spirit saying we need to focus on the fear of God this morning. Um... And we'll get a little bit to the love of Christ as well. But God's first motive, God's first motive in sharing the gospel is fear of him. All right, it says that in verse 11, right? Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, what about him specifically are you supposed to fear? Well, Paul tells us this in context of the passage. This is the important thing about reading the Bible. You've got to read a little up and a little down to understand kind of what's going on in the big picture. So if you read a little bit earlier, I'll put up on the screen as well, verses 9 and 10. We didn't read this before, but it starts just before our passage. Paul has been talking about suffering we endure in the body and how it will be great someday to, to leave this earthly body and be at home with Jesus. Because he's lived a hard life. And in doing so, he says, though, you know, but whether I'm at home with Jesus or I'm away from him, 
There's a principle I need to follow. And he says it in verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what kind of judgment is Paul talking about here? The judgment seat of Christ. You might object here or think to yourself, but I thought Jesus died so that I might not be judged. Right? I might not be judged, condemned, and go to that bad place. Right? And you're correct in that. Paul says elsewhere, Romans 8.1, that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If, you, if you've trusted your life to Christ, there is no judgment of condemnation. The penalty of eternal death and torment. There is no more. He also says, well, this is actually the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So he shows here, well, what's going on here? How can we love and there still be fear? Well, God is not talking about the fear of punishment, of eternal condemnation. All right? Your love can still be perfected. This is an important point. I believe Paul is not talking about here in 2 Corinthians 5 about a fear of condemnation, but a fear of commendation. Not a fear of condemnation, but a fear of commendation. If you trust Jesus, if you trust your life to Jesus, you will be saved, and you don't need to fear a judgment of condemnation, but there is still a judgment of sorts, a judgment of commendation. To some, the Father will utter those famous words from the parable in Matthew 25 where Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. And Paul is talking about this kind of judgment here. Speaking of this kind of judgment, will you hear these words? That's why he actually speaks of commendation in the next verse. If you look in verse 12 of the chapter we're looking at here, he speaks of commendation, not needing any more man's commendation, but only God's commendation, only God's approval. And that's why he can also say in verse 9, so whatever we do, wherever we are, we make it our aim to please God. It's his approval, his commendation that matters and that we seek. So he says this, and that means that there is, yes, a possibility. You could be saved through grace by faith and not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It is a possibility in the Christian life. After all, you didn't think about it, do anything to earn salvation, did you? Right? We have salvation by faith, not anything from works, as Ephesians 2 says. So Jesus isn't saying, well done, for something you didn't do. It's from a life lived in response to that grace of pleasing God through what we do. So you can be saved. This is my point in all this. You can be saved but still miss out. And let me tell you, I do not want us to miss out on this. I don't want to miss out 
on hearing this from our Father. Paul says as much if you want to look it up sometime. I'm not going to get to it this morning if you want to write this down. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, he talks about this further. How you can be saved and yet not receive this kind of commendation. Anyhow, our God and Father can give us or withhold from us this wonderful blessing. And I've, and I've showed you this from God's word, right? He can offer us, well done, good and faithful servant, that great commendation, or he can withhold it from us. But we also know it, not only from God's word, we know it intuitively, don't we? We know it from experience. Whether you've had an amazing, an awful, an average, or an absent father, and whether you're 5 or 35, most of us, most of us have felt that longing to win our father's commendation, haven't we? Right? You hear from an earthly dad, good job. Right? Add a boy. Pat on the back. Add a girl. Well done. And of course this makes sense because human fathers were designed, they were put on this earth to dimly reflect our Heavenly Father. To be a, a dim reflection, an example of our Heavenly Father. That small de that desire here from our earthly Father is nothing compared to the desire God wants to place in us to hear that from our Heavenly Father. And so, I'm urging us this morning to persuade others towards the Gospel because you fear the one who so loves you but can give or withhold that divine well done. Sharing the gospel, it's so much more about God than it is about us and even about other people. And before we go any further, I want us to notice this pattern in the rest of this paragraph. I'm just going to scroll through verses 11 through 15, but I want us to notice this. Verse 11 second part of verse 11, well, we hope, sorry, well, what we are is known to God. I hope it is also known into your conscience. So Paul is saying, we hope that you know who we are, who, what our identity is, what we live for. But ultimately, we hope that's the case. But ultimately, what's most important is that what we are, our identity, is wrapped up in being known by God. That's the ultimate, of ultimate importance here. Verse 12, Paul talks about, look, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but we want to give you cause to boast about us. We want to give you confidence and others around you, confidence that the people who are shepherding you and pastoring you love God and fear him above all else. We want to give you that confidence. So even when he talks about himself and others, he's doing so to point to God. Verse 13 he talks about if we are beside ourselves, it is for the Lord. Right? If we're perceived, the idea here, as Paul is saying, is we're perceived as being a little bit crazy because we're preaching this Jesus. We're preaching about a man who was crucified on a wooden stick and it seems crazy. That's okay. Because ultimately we're doing this for God. And people get it? Great. It's for your benefit also. You see that? Verse 14, here we get the second motive for sharing the gospel. Right, where he says, 
It is Christ's love that compels us, or that controls us, or constrains us, depending on your translation. It is the strong force of Christ's love that makes us want to share the gospel with others. Notice, again, not the love of others, our love for the lost, but it's God-centered. It's the love of Christ that compels us. Verse 15. Here's what's caught my eye the most reading it this time around. He died for all. Christ died for all. Why, according to these verses, did Christ die for all? According to these verses, it doesn't say that Christ died for all so that people might have eternal life. It says that in other verses, but Paul's talking here about evangelism. It doesn't say that Christ died for all so people could become part of a great community, the church. No, it says Christ died for all that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him. Do you see how God-centered that is? Christ died. There's a big sense in which Christ died. A great sense, a grand sense in which Christ died, not simply for our sake, but so we can live to glorify him. It's about him and his glory and his greatness. And that's hard for us to get our heads around and our hearts around. Because it kind of offends us. We want it to be more about us. But God is asking for a different kind of ambassador. And I want us to see this. I want you to see this in God's word for yourselves. Not just because I'm saying it and trying to convince you of it. And I wonder, do you see that going through that passage? And if so, are you surprised as I am? You know, that where, where's the love of people? of societies, of cultures, of ethnicities, of races, right? Where is that love? Well, let me assure you, friends, believe me, it's there. But it's not your love that he's interested in communicating. It's not your love he's interested in communicating. God is asking for ambassadors who are so consumed with fearing and pleasing him that they radically begin sharing the gospel less because of people and more because of him. And we might argue, we might think to ourselves, and as I often have, but isn't it just good people share the gospel? You know, whatever works, right? If people share the gospel, that's a blessing. And it's true. Even Paul and Jesus say, Jesus says it about miracles, Look, if someone does a miracle in my name, great. Paul says, look, if someone preaches the gospel for the wrong motivation, great. But as far as it depends on you, here's how you're going to last in sharing the gospel. Here's what's going to set you on fire to share Jesus with others. It's going to be fearing me. It's going to be being loved by me. Friends, there's dangers when evangelism becomes Strictly others-centered. I want to share with you some of these. I don't think about these in your own lives. Maybe one of these has touched you. Growing your pride is a danger, which is bad for you, right? That's the idea where you come to someone and you want to share the gospel with them and you think to yourself, you know what, it's up to me. If I don't share the gospel with them, no one will. And it's always living in this mentality makes you think it's all about you, right? Number two, become all too human. Become an all too human savior for that person, which is bad for them, right? This is kind of related to the first one. 
because it's about pride. But you over-relate to them. You, 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 you work and you work and you want to spend time with them and you want to love them for Jesus and work hard, which we should, but they also need time to hear from God himself, from the Holy Spirit, from his word. And you need time to intercede through his spirit behind the scenes. Thirdly, you may end up resenting the very person you're trying to persuade. You put all your hope, or almost 100% of all your hope and all your worth in this person being persuaded and coming to trust Jesus. But if they don't, or if it's taking a while, you know, we just kind of dismiss them. Like, you know what? They're just hard-hearted. Or, you know, it's not worth our time. This happens. Fourth, you could become paralyzed in risk-taking. Because you've started judging all your successes by quantity and quality of people coming to know Jesus, not by quantity and quality of obedience to God. That you don't want to take any more risks. You just, you get tired of it. Lastly, a danger when evangelism becomes other-centered. It can lead to a watered-down message that avoids people's greatest problem, sin. You want so badly for someone to come to know Jesus. You want to relate to them. You, you want them to also be happy with you. That Jesus saves us and is a solution from sadness, turbulence, hurt, sickness, emptiness, issues, which he can be. But he's not the solution to a rebellious heart that has said no to its creator from birth. And that's ultimately why we need Jesus. People need to hear that. It's hard. People need to hear that. This week. Don't make this week about being gung-ho to go out and share the gospel with all your friends. Now, of course, if Jesus gives you an opportunity to share the gospel, do it. I'm not saying that. But as you respond to this message, don't make this week be, yeah, I'm going to go out and share the gospel with my friends. I want to encourage you instead to make this be the week that you check your heart, you check your motives, you get with God, and specifically check your targets. I'm going to end here. I told the guys who preached before, they preached way too short. They made me look bad. And I don't have to, you know, I'm coming off vacation. I'm passionate. I'm going to preach a little longer, right? You've got to give me some rope here. I'm going to conclude on this part here. Check your targets, right? Paul says we make it our aim to please him. Where is your aim? There are three targets I want you to think about. One, the first one's the right target, right? The God-honoring target of pleasing him. The second is the blatantly irreligious target, right? Please ourselves. I remember that song about, you know, can't please anyone, just, just please yourself. Anyone hear that song? Yeah, it's a country music song. Uh, I don't like it either. But anyhow, um, <laughs> we aim to please ourselves. But there's a third target that looks like it's the right target. I call it the religious target. All right? It's so close. It's where we, and here's how I experience in my own life. I aim to please my spouse, right? Which, which that pleases God. Indirectly, that pleases God, right? That's what he wants. 
And so I aim to please you guys, a congregation, elders, our church. I aim to please our kids. God wants that as well, right? I aim to please this person who I see and strike up a conversation with at the cafe. But when do I simply aim to please the Father? Do you know what I'm saying? When do I simply aim to please Him? Time only with Him. Words spoken only for His ear. Deeds done only for His eyes. When do I simply aim to please Him? Where you've missed the target. If you've missed the target in that that slight way, right? The blatantly irreligious way, wherever it is, when you've missed His target, that's where the second motive for sharing the gospel comes in, friends. Run back to the love of Christ who died for you and let Him compel you once more to please Him, to share the gospel, and to make your burning desire once more be to hear the Father say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to close with this story. I, while on holiday, we got a chance to go to this pastoral retreat center in uh, Tennessee for a number of days. Uh, Katie and I, by ourselves, dropped off the kids with her sister. It was very gracious to watch them. While there, I met a man who uh, used to be a professional evangelist and what he did for a living. And, uh, and he looked it, by the way. Uh, there are two professions in the United States which require perfect teeth, uh, a spray-on tan, and uh, hair like Pat Sajak, like Wheel of Fortune's Pat Sajak. You know what I'm talking about? All right? Like that perfect-looking guy. Hey, how's it going? Those two professions are used car salesman and uh, professional evangelist. All right, a TV evangelist. This guy had it going on. He looked like this guy. All right, you know, just all about him. And he was an evangelist for 30 years. All right, until God did something in his life to lead he and his wife down the road to starting an addiction recovery center to help people with addictions to all kinds of addictions, drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, pornography, um, all kinds of different addictions. And this addiction center had a remarkably successful rate in just five years. He, he explained this. By the way, it, he, he could tell great stories. If you want to just sit down, you know, you're at a party and someone's, you happen to meet someone who's a director of an addiction recovery center and you don't live near them, and he told me some wild stories. I mean, from people who were like he alluded to were famous. I mean, I learned all kinds. I learned how JFK died in this conversation, I'm pretty sure. And it was amazing. <laughs> anyway, he shared about the center. But at the end of our conversation, this man said to me, you know what, though, Ryan? Things changed when I finally started to focus less on winning souls and more on what God wanted me to do. He said, now, he said, now I'll be fine. I'll be fine if I just hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He proceeded to tell me that he has seen more people trust Jesus in the past five years than he has in 30 years of traveling the world 
as an itinerant evangelist. Let's pray. Lord God, what if that was our greatest aim? To please you because we feared you enough to know that you are our Father and we want to hear from you that commendation. Lord, I want to hear that commendation in my life. Abba, Father, I want to hear that commendation when I meet you in heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. God, where that is not the plea of our hearts, may you help it be. Or we have aimed at counterfeit targets, whether it's pleasing ourselves or getting caught up in the religious game of just pleasing others. God, we come to the cross. We ask for your forgiveness. And we know that your love can compel us once more to aim to please you when we share Jesus with others. May that be our heart this week. Before we get into all the, how do you share the gospel? How do you share your testimony? May our heart be to draw near to you and to long again to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.